Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. All right, so today we have a great chat planned for you guys. We're going to be talking specifically about training and how you guys can improve your communication with your dogs and change your dog's behavior. And for this chat, we have a nice guest, Paul. He is a author and writer for Dogster Magazine, and he also owns and trains at Possum Dogs. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Before we get started, do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of an introduction to yourself and how you got started in dog training? Uh, Well, I got started in the early 90s. Um, I worked with, uh, I had a mentor who was, who was horrible. He would, he would put any uh, adverse coercion-based trainer out there today uh, without mentioning any one of them because they can do their own thing. Uh, it's a shame, and it made me really uncomfortable, and I started, I was looking for a trainer. I had a, a new Malamute puppy. Um, she had a little Timber Wolf in her, uh, but I didn't, she was a Malamute then. That's what I told people. Uh, I hooked up with him, and then I was like, you know, right out of the Marine Corps, I'm like, can I be an apprentice? This is, you know, I really like this. I want to learn. Uh, and everything I learned just horrified me. And I go home and do the exact opposite, basically. I didn't really understand reinforcement and punishment and any of the science behind it yet. Um, and I started looking into them. Uh, the APDT just came out with Dr. Dunbar. So there was a little bit of a resource. There wasn't the internet. It was just all the books. Um, and then after nine months of, I wasn't going to do that anymore. I walked out and I had that, that silver was an amazing dog. So people came towards me and were like, help me with my dog do this. And then I started doing it part time, which I did for, you know, 18 years or so. And then over a decade ago, I just went full time. Um, and I just never used corrections. Uh, I believe they get in the way of learning. They pause it at least. Um, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes people take molding way too far punishment way too far. Um, so I've always been reinforcement based or driven, you know, the dog training coach. I like that word yeah. coach. I like teamwork. The first article I wrote for dogs are like teamwork. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to see that a lot um, to the executive editor. Who's just a wonderful person too. Um, so, you know, I found a voice in making, creating content, visual graphics, memes, um, I didn't know how much I'd like graphic arts, but it's a mix of photography and the sense of humor. And I like to soften up science, make it a little more accessible and relatable. Um, some people really enjoy my voice for that, which is mm-hmm. reinforcing for me. Yeah. Now, nice to have, it's nice to be heard. It's nice to be listened to, which is consent based training too. It's yep. the dog in front of you. So it's yeah. Like just breaking it down and expanding on that. I think that's really interesting that you got a start learning the things you didn't want to do. And I think that that's really true for training in general is that we learn when we make mistakes, you know, we learn through experiences. And I think that's so important to kind of be able to see something and say, I, I can do things differently and I want to do things differently for my relationship with my dog. It really uh, spawned a desire to research and study and learn, Uh, you know, reading is, so beneficial it's uh, you're it's accessing someone else's knowledge uh and, and bringing it into your own um which i was i was a horrible student i would test really well so i, I wouldn't do homework and i did like we gotta take 20 percent off your grade and i'm like go ahead i'll get a b you know i'm like i do really well in the test why do i gotta show you you know it made no sense to me uh, yeah plus i grew up where i was an athlete and we got a little we got away with more stuff I think maybe back then, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't show up to class and you like help the team win. I don't know what that mentality was, but, uh, but, you know, learning about behavior and stuff, I just got, you know, I'll go all the way back into someone's uh, thesis paper. I found uh, Mark Beekoff's thesis paper many years ago. I love him. Uh, He's such a great teacher. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because not only do you create such good and relatable content for 
you know, the general public on training and reinforcement. Obviously, you practice what you preach, uh, not just in training, but also in your dog-powered sports. You live with uh, some Siberian Huskies right now, and you enjoy bike during quite a bit. How did you initially get involved in dog-powered sports? Uh, the second dog in the early 90s was another, was another Malamute. Um, when he got old enough, I had a mountain board. I still have the same type of mountain board. It's an old outback. Uh, and I would use my friend's mountain bike too, my mountain bike. Um, I liked the mountain board a lot more back then. It was a lot more fun and stupid. And Baru is a very fast Malamute. We would go all over Seattle uh, in the colder months and trails and stuff. Um, so, yep, back then, and I always have been, you know, with dogs throughout the years, it, it's, uh, you know, that weird guy with the dogs on the bike pulling them. <laughs> but it's great the, the, the so many people are interested in now. And what you guys yeah. do down in Georgia is just amazing. That it's one of the best Facebook mushroom groups ever because it's just so active and so, so yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting because, and I know you know this because you help your clients get involved in it too, but, you know, even if you don't have a stereotypical mushing breed, there are so many benefits health-wise, you know, emotional-wise, connection-wise, training-wise that people can get from engaging in dog-powered sports. And obviously it's going to look a little bit different for every team, but there's so many positive things that teams can pull out of mushing just into normal pet dog life. Oh, the, the, the relationship is just amazing. It's sharing the joy of speed. I had a student with this Springer Spaniel. That dog is a little pocket rocket. He was so fun. Single dog bike drawing, flying. And he was amazing. Just loved it. And he wanted to experience, you know, saw what I was doing. It's good to be an example like that. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, all the mushroom sports are all pairing and capturing behavior. There's no real, you can't push a rope. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's one of the snarkiest, most beloved sayings of mine. You can't push a rope. It's just beautiful. It, 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 yeah, there's a lot to it. I'm yeah. Talk to you about it. I, I love the ability to, uh, you know, harness the dog's power literally and figuratively because you create such a different connection. You know, when you hook up and connect to your dog, there's a different level of trust that's there. There's a different level of, you know, adventure and adrenaline seeking that you get. And you're right that that's saying, you know, you can't push a rope. The dog wants to do this and just as much as you do. And you guys are working together as a team. And I think it's a very cool sport in that aspect because you are both being athletes together and working together to, you know, make it work. Sure. Yeah. No, there's a common goal of enjoyment. It's uh, just getting lost in nature. Mm -hmm. Hitting the head by like a branch or something because you're just like watching that gate and that whole like everything going by. It's just so uh, wonderful. And they're experiencing that too. It's really neat because dogs are primarily visual learners. And we're behind them and it's really auditory um and it, it's a it's a neat journey getting there you know that mm-hmm. when you know your dog is a reliable teammate and you can count on each other um in my last article with dog star i quoted uh phil jackson the strength of the team is uh each individual member and each mm-hmm. strength of each individual member is the team is so apt for mushing Yeah, it really is. So when you were talking about, you know, training, obviously there's a lot of training that goes involved into this uh, before you get hooked up to go and even after you guys are connected as a team. And it really comes down to teaching our dogs what they should be doing. And you and I are both a fan of using reinforcement for this, uh, specifically positive reinforcement, where we can teach the dog uh, to increase the frequency of behavior or increase the likelihood of a behavior by adding something that they like. And you mentioned using capturing for this quite a bit, which we can do. Talk to us a little bit about what reinforcement is and how you use it when you are teaching behaviors. I'm a big, I'm a self-proclaimed Thorndikean. I love Edward Thorndike. And uh, the law of effect is a beautiful thing. Uh, And that just means that things with pleasing outcomes are more likely to happen. Um, so that's where 
the word, the term reinforcement came from. And Thorndike was the first one to introduce reinforcement in the aspect of learning in 1905, which is really neat. And I'm a nerd fan, super fan. Um, so when things work out really well, they're more likely to be repeated. Now, as they're human teammates, we can add something extra to it. Um, and it's there's a little bit of mix of pre-MAC principle going on in, in uh, introducing these things because the higher probability behavior of running and pulling because everybody's dealing with a dog that's pulling reinforces the lower probability behavior of, you know, making that turn or stuff like that. And it's don't get lost in that, but I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. We might've lost a couple of people there. It just means that things that work out really well are really are going to be repeated um, because it's really difficult to issue a tangible reinforcer to a dog. So we're working with secondary reinforcement value. Again, don't get lost with it, which just means joy. Um, and, and there's a lot to it. Um, but that, that's why we start with them next to us. We don't just hook them up to a bike or a sled right away. So we're associating all the reinforcement that we can give for going left and right. Uh, our haul and G, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I think that with reinforcement, specifically when we talk about positive reinforcement training, we talk a lot about food. And I think there can be some misconceptions that, you know, if we start using food, we always have to, or uh, the food is the only reinforcer we can use. And that's definitely not the case. Generally for my training, I, I do the same thing as you, where we start with the dog in very close proximity on a regular leash next to us so that we're teaching these behaviors on foot before we get connected together. Right. And we And we use a lot of food because it's very effective. It's very easy to give quite a bit in a short time frame, which means we can do lots of repetitions, but we're certainly not limited to food when we're training our dogs. Um, and obviously, once we are hooked up on the trail, we're not using food. So talk to us about, you know, these pleasing outcomes for our dogs, because while food is one of them, it isn't the only thing that we can use. Sure. Well, the progression from teaching in close proximity using a food reinforcer expands and dogs are, they learn by association. They're associative learners. So they're associating the, the verbal cue we're connecting to what we're reinforcing. Um, and then as we progress out to where they're, you know, lined out and down the line uh, on trail away from us, that associated, that was awesome goes with the action of pulling in some aspects and teaching a line out for sure. You can do a check-in and then a line out. Um, I can't give the, guy, the dog a cookie, a, a reinforcer when they're all the way out, but I'd be like, yeah, you know, yes, I can use markers. Mm -hmm. um, but the line out itself and the completion of the behavior that was previously reinforced is that doing the behavior in itself and then having that freedom of motion forward after the line out, let's go. That is what reinforces the line out. And it's our timing when our timing is really good and we don't harass our dogs beforehand, line out, line out, line out. And then they, you know, then they go, but if we're just line out, they complete the behavior and we're like, let's go. That's what reinforces the line out there. It's still an associated pleasing outcome because I get to go that it's a different value of reinforcement. It becomes secondary reinforcement. The food is the primary that initially, when introducing the behavior, associates it to the verbal cue or the visual signal or whatever starts the next thing. Right? Yep. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's all there. The environment, that's why I brought up bring up Remac with mushing, because we're using environmental, you know, freedoms to go mm -hmm. do what I enjoy. I'm yeah, like, really love this. This is new. I'm learning about this. Oh, I really love this. That's what reinforces that. Oh, this is new. I'm just learning. And it happens over time. And it gets better. I mean, yeah, I was silly. And I threw little bear out front. <laughs> he was a goofball. That's a whole nother journey. But yeah. <laughs> you know, now he's awesome at making turns. Yeah. Yeah, but it takes time. You know, it takes time for them to make those connections. Right. Um, and to learn that you know, G means to turn right, no matter what that trail looks like, or no matter what distractions can be in front of me or around me. Sure. And I think that a lot of people run into trouble with that because they have a hard time breaking things down into smaller pieces 
right? And that's so important when we are teaching our dogs concepts, because, you know, even if we're just talking about something simple like a sit, right? Lots of people teach sit no matter what sports or not that they are involved in. Uh, But just because our dogs can sit in the living room doesn't necessarily mean they can sit outside or at the vet office or in a rally obedience ring. All of those little environmental changes make a big difference for our dogs. Um, You know, when, when we're talking about a skill like on by and passing distractions, just because they can pass you know, trash on the road doesn't mean they'll be able to pass a person or another dog. And so we really have to be strategic when we're working on our training to split things into small pieces so that our dog is really understanding that cue means this definition, you know, no matter what is around us. So when you're working on training your cues with your dogs or helping your clients, what are some behaviors that you really like to split into small pieces? Um, that's a good one. Uh, well, I'm always baking the cake. I'm never buying it, which means I'm getting out the cookbook and separating all the different ingredients and measuring out everything and eating. I'm doing a lot of steps to get towards a goal. Um, and goals are great. They give us something to strive for, which means it's a journey, it's not a mm-hmm. destination, all that stuff. Um, more proprioception behaviors. I, and then I, I will go into using a clicker even sometimes or that, you know, balancing on balls or doing different types of targeting behaviors. Um, I'm always splitting. I I split everything down. I'm ridiculous that way. And I I think it's ridiculously beautiful because I will just go way too far into things. Um, You know, I move really slow. That's another one. You know, the fastest way to train a dog is slowly. You know, fastest way to teach a new behavior is to split that up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to when we're using reinforcement and teaching the dogs what we want, because our goal is that they are always successful, you know, that they can always get to the the answer that we want them to get to, which means we have to split things apart into really small pieces so that it's only just a little bit different, you know, so they can be successful each step of the way, get that reinforcement, and we're just building really strong, reliable behaviors. Right, right. You know, the path of almost getting it right. Yeah. So on by is definitely something that I know a lot of people struggle with. And it's something that um, I split into a million little pieces um, because all distractions are different. And certainly every dog is going to be different in terms of what they find distracting. Um, When you are splitting a behavior like that, how often or how long do you stay on foot with food? And what does that transition process look like for you from moving from on foot to that connected state? Um, well, you know, on by for me is a mobile leave it. Um, and I teach leave it without any coercion. It's Mm -hmm. a promise I make to my dog. If they don't touch that, they get something else instead. And that is something I split up and expand on and move into different environments and raise the value of what they're leaving without harassing them or, you know, threatening them. It's as easy. I don't want to say, I can say leave it again. My dogs aren't going to stop eating their breakfast. Um, but, you know, even to that concern where it's progressed to something where I don't have to say it when I leave the room, because every once in a while I get a whole pizza <laughs> and I watch a movie and I sit in bed with the dogs and eventually they get something. Um, but I'll, you know, I need some water. So I go to the, yeah. the room and get some water and I come back and I don't have to close the box. They're just chilling. They're not mm-hmm. even stressed. They're like, you know, looking at it anymore. I've gone that far with it. And then just increasing my rate of speed as I go past something. Mixing that in, which is splitting up a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Um, you know, that's what's great about hip belts. You know, if you want get yourself a good hip belt um, that you're comfortable in. There's lots of belts. Um, and that way, you're you know, on trail with your dog when you're walking and hiking. It's You're in the pet store, and you're at the end of the aisle. You're going to go to the left or the right. That's a great example of capturing that one instead of mm-hmm. on by, because when the dog decides to do something, you can name it, um, it leave it, and, and on by are their brother and sister in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I start with a good leave it, and I'm not, not it's just a promise. Um, and I know we're excited when we're on the bikes and we get a little bit louder. I listen to some of my GoPro, and I'm like, dude, what are you, why? <laughs> Um, and I really, you know, it's, it's got me to like 
get much softer when you listen mm-hmm. to this stuff. Um, it, and it's a different, you know, a fox, my dogs might dive into the bush. Rabbits, really good with, uh, but I got to be on top of it. And it, it, so with the on by, I increase that rate of speed. It's almost like a turbo boost um, when that's what it's progressed to. Building it up slowly, though, it, it really it was a lot of hikes. Yeah. And uh, to not get something, to get something else instead. It's really keeping that. It's almost like a marker of disengagement. Mm-hmm. You need, I think it's best done with like an increased rate of speed. Anytime I say on oh, by, I'm picking up my like, you know, I'm, I'm taking a little quick sprint, like 10 steps, five steps at least. And I motivate the, if I generate movement, I generate movement with my dog, especially on foot. So they just come with me really quick. Mm-hmm. And those times that are successful, bam, there you go. Jackpot. Good boy. Now, here's a cookie um, or a reinforcer. But I like yeah. Cookie. Everyone understands it. Yep. Cookie pushers. <laughs> cookie pushers unite. Yep. I think on by is one of those skills, you know, you mentioned it as being kind of a, a brother and sister of, of leave it. And I think that's so true because I think that when we are, when we are asking our dogs to, to disengage from something that's naturally interesting for them, um, something that has some, creates some instinctual response, you know, especially when we're talking about prey drive, when we see other animals on the trail. It's one of those things that I always relate it to somebody going to the gym, you know, that the first day you go to the gym, you're probably going to struggle lifting those weights, but the more consistently you go to the gym, the stronger those muscles are going to be. And the easier it will be for you to lift that weight and lift even more. And that's how I like to think of working on skills like leave it or on by, because the more you practice with your dog and the more consistent you are, the more successful they are at passing, the stronger that behavior is going to get and the easier it's going to be for you to pass things. So that's one of those skills I like to work on in the city, you know, and outside of mushing instead of just when we're on the trail. It can be random things. It doesn't have to be a trigger. Mm-hmm. It can be that, that street post. And you're like, on by, you pick up speed, a couple yep. steps. It's like, yay, that was fun. Um, yeah, you know, leave it, maybe, maybe leave it in on by our cousins. Yeah. But my thing about the coercion is I don't want leave it to be on by's creepy uncle. Right. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't have that be threatening because we're using it in something that we're doing that's fun. Yeah. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't, you don't need to panic with those. You're not panicking on trail. So if they're related, you know, you teach it a different way and a nicer way. That's something, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I love I love what you said too about it being a promise because I think that's so important that we need to not only keep that promise to our dog but let them know that hey something better is going to happen you know you don't have to go after that and if you don't something good is going to happen and that's a great way to think of it it's not a threat of you better pass that or else it's hey right. you should you should pass that because something really great is going to happen sure yeah and then, you know and if the uh, the dog does catch that chip on you need a good drop. You know, yeah. and, but that goes with trading up, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm a non-threatening thing and I'm going to make a, a equal or greater trade for something up that helps some dogs predict that I've had students where the dog would eat a lot of socks mm-hmm. and they were chasing the dog around the house and the dog was sucking down the socks and it was really dangerous. And I introduced trading up with them. That dog went so far as to keep getting socks, but he would go sit by the cookie jar in front of the refrigerator. He wouldn't consume them. But he would eagerly predict a better outcome. Still had a love of socks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love socks. <laughs> um, socks, socks, socks. <laughs> but yeah, those are similar too. Um, but yeah, to get past something, uh, you know, and it's it's part management. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be looking three turns ahead. Yeah. What's yeah. in front of me? What's coming at me? And what's behind me? And obviously that's more challenging the faster you're moving. <laughs> so it right. takes some practice, you know, from the human side of it too, building those mechanics up ourselves. Yeah. And then there's tree in the middle of the trail and you need a good R G depending on what line you choose mm-hmm. before you even get there. <laughs> that's the fun stuff. I love those runs. Yeah, I do we're too. We're up at like 20 and we're just flying and it's just ridiculous. Oh, the glory days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously we talked about skills that are 
used on the trail, but can be strengthened in other ways. We were just talking about leave it and on by. Are there any other, you know, foundation skills or pet manner skills that you like to build in home or around the city that you think have a lot of value for you and your dogs when you're out on the trails? Cooperative care. Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, anything else would come after that. Um, there, there, there's a lot. There's it, it, cooperative care to be able to like get a thorn out of a dog's paw or mm -hmm. you know, dog starts limping, you know, proper lifts and carries things like that um just to be able to like touch and then that calmness almost a settle you know it's great that little bear is stoked at the trailhead um from working on that like waiting right <laughs> toning it down just a little <laughs> little impulse management every here and there you know that's nice it's you know stop whoa and stop mm -hmm. you know want the dog just you know in a good stand and that's that's a you know Again, it's a lower probability behavior to stand and wait on trail. Uh, yeah. But it's good, you know, I like to get off the bike. Uh, I even like to stop and take weird photographs or set up the camera or the video and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it's just how our style of runs are. Mm -hmm. Times we're just doing that. Um, that's good to do, you know, just wait. Wait is a great one. Yeah. Wait is really important. Cooperative care, wait. What do you like to do? Yeah, I, definitely cooperative care. That, I, that is one that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of if somebody asked me that question, but it absolutely comes in handy and we work on it all the time because you're right. You need to be able to check feet. You need to be able to, I mean, even as simple as getting harnesses on and off of them, um, oh, yeah. lifting them into the car if needed, all of that comes down to the dog being comfortable with my hands being on them. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of environmental work you know, when you're going to different trailheads, obviously there's a pattern of behavior. You know, when you see me pack the car up with this stuff, we go mm -hmm. to the trail and we get to go do the fun thing. And sure. so very quickly do dogs start to get really amped up at, at trailheads. Um, but even though I like them to be excited about the sport, if they are too excited, then it can be hard for them to respond to cues yep. when we're out. That's so, split up. Yeah. And in the house and then in the Jeep and exactly what you're talking about. That's you know, your previous question about splitting a behavior yeah. and mushing. That's mm -hmm. number one, for sure. That yeah. Sequence of things and that not get overamped. Yeah. Cause it can be, you know, and, and we struggle and I see a lot of my clients and friends struggle with this as well. It's like, you want the dog to be excited about it. And to some extent, a certain level of excitement or stress will help improve performance, mm -hmm. but there's that fine balance of not being too amped up because that can decrease performance <laughs> yeah no for sure that's part of that harassing stuff and I, that's that word you understand that yeah mushing we say that word more often than other things out there well maybe agility i don't know i don't really do that i don't think they, they probably don't say it in hoovers those people are so sweet <laughs> they're all nice to each other yeah but yeah that that you know losing your mind Versus being excited. Uh, yeah. The, having a whole team of woo girls going crazy and bouncing something down. That's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of work. And obviously the more dogs you bring out, the more yeah. of a challenge it can be. Um, the more likely you are to have issues between the two dogs. If, if you're running more than one, if they're too amped up. So I do a lot of, you know, crate work. Um, my dogs actually travel in, in crates in the car. And so we do a lot of relaxation inside the car. We do a lot of um, relaxation, approaching the car. And then even once we get to an environment, whether we're mushing or not, um, we do a lot of, can you just be still and calm and hang out here while I'm doing X, Y, or Z, you yeah. know, and before we go do that exciting thing. Yeah. That, that's, that's what we're up to now. It's like year three with little bear. It's really at the trailhead in the Jeep, mm -hmm. take it down a notch. We, we, we have together the last year. Yeah. Um, There's one park we were at. It was just off. <laughs> I left his head. I just got through it as quickly as possible. And I don't <laughs> bait all the time. Sometimes we move quickly. Um, but yeah, you know, I had some beef lung in the Jeep. Uh, and that's like chilling out. Good boy, waiting. There's a little mm -hmm. bit. That's, I mean, that's more done for hikes. I really don't feed my dog stuff before bike joining. Right. 
yeah, I'm careful with that. That's really for going to the beach and being excited at that trailhead. They're all trailheads. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely, you know, the bike pass or uh, mountain bike trailheads are, they're different. The dogs know what's up. They do. Yeah. And that's a good point too, is that, you know, a lot of this training that we're doing for our dog powered sports can happen outside of actually doing dog powered sports. You know, a lot of our summer here, um, I've spent building those foundations and building those, those behaviors that I need in different contexts. And that will translate to when we're ready to hook back up. I'll be using them in the paddle boarding. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Paddleboarding is a great one. Absolutely. And Teaching stillness and relaxation. Yeah, settling, going left or right. I, I use that when they're out swimming on a long line or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I've used away is another cousin of on by and leave it. If I want my dogs to move away from something, I've used that too on like buoys. I don't trust them; they freak me out. Buoys. <laughs> I want my dog like getting trapped in one. But yeah, uh, oh, Augie, mm-hmm. swim this way, swim that way. Totally works. <laughs> yeah. Push it to learners, right? We can be training this same, the same stuff we're using, you know, when they're connected to the bike or the cart, or the scooter, is that we can teach that in other environments because they understand the association from the vocabulary we're introducing, mm-hmm. relating things to the signals and the actions that follow them. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that comes up quite a bit when we talk about training dogs, um, specifically when we're talking about being cookie pushers and reinforcing our dogs for good things, the the question that always comes up is what do I do when my dog is wrong, right? Because it's all great if we can reward good behavior, but what if they're not making good choices? Uh, Well, it really matters on the situation, environment, and the individual. Um, sometimes you can wait it out. Sometimes you can walk away. Um, when dogs are mentally, emotionally, and physically ready to learn, they're more apt to learn when we start to punish them or if they're sleepy or tired or hungry, just like we are, mm-hmm. we're less likely to learn. Um, that's, you know, that's the law of readiness and, and it applies. I've gone places intending to do stuff and the dog was just off his rocker and not wanting to do what I had in mind. So we did something else instead. So that's, uh, you know, what happens when I can't reinforce stuff, differential reinforcement, go do something else, bring yeah. something else. Um, no is not, no is an incomplete sentence. If you want to say no to your dog, go right ahead. You don't want to use a number word marker. Sure. Have at it because it's a linguistic habit and you're going to say it, try to say it less. But then complete the sentence. No, do this instead. You know, and try not to scare them when you say no. Mm-hmm. Try to evolve past it and just go because it's quicker to just say do this instead. But sometimes, you know, when they're not up for it, you just walk away. Yeah. Dogs live in the moment too. Maybe they want to snip a bush and then they'll listen. Uh, you know, the patience. Patience is really important. It's it's you know that's that part of that journey stuff. You know, don't harass, don't frustrate. Mm-hmm. do something else instead. Yeah. I think that can be one of the most beautiful things about training. And one of the most challenging mm-hmm. is being able to be observant and in the moment right. and make that decision that, you know what, this might not be the best thing to work on right now. Let's right. switch gears. Let's go do something else where me and the dog can be successful, where there won't be frustration and we'll be building better patterns of behavior. Yeah. And in my, you know, sessions with my students that's really unlikely to happen because i can mm-hmm. figure out how to motivate the dog to do something else it's not like well dog's not listening you know it's yeah like, that doesn't really come into play too often and if it does the dog's probably over threshold or overstimulated and we need them management would have prevailed that or they have a history of abuse or punishment there's right. going to be something out there but the average happy dog that's just you know, their thalamus is more engaged with smelling that bush and they're not listening. It's because mm-hmm. their brain is like working way too hard and then converting all this uh, chemical signals uh, and just let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> the way they're going to probably feel better. So yeah. dogs need to like not listen to us to feel better because they're mm-hmm. getting too much pressure. So they're shutting down and they need to go smell something. Just like some people got to bite their nails or 
I need to walk away. Yeah. I do it in relationships all the time. You know, couples take time out so things don't escalate when they get mm-hmm. married or whatever. Or you burn the dinner, you throw it out, you start all over again. Your dog's not listening, do something else, start all over again. Um, but that's that whole, you know, it's, it's a consent based relationship from day one. Mm-hmm. You know, which is something else too. I love what you said too about it often doesn't happen with your clients where you're, where you get in a, a position where you can't motivate the dog, right? Meaning that oftentimes you can find some way to engage the dog. The dog wants to be part of that and, and learn something. And I think that if that isn't the case, mm-hmm. if you're finding yourself in moments frequently where you're unable to motivate the dog, then it's always a good idea to kind of take a step back. Because it's likely that we need to change something about that setup, you know, change the value of our reinforcer, change the environment that we're working in, evaluate, have the needs of the dog been met, you know, where they're in a safe place and they can learn. Yeah. We could just make learning fun. We can play a game. I'm a huge believer in recess. I carry a flirt pole with me all the time. Most dogs love flirt poles. You know, puppies, I do it for big circles and slow and older dogs, I do fun things. Um, or even just a little bit of fetch, not like compulsory fetch. Mm-hmm. Fetch doesn't have to be evil. Yeah. Dogs that want to play fetch for eight hours, I wouldn't start playing fetch with. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it's the dog in front of you and uh, meeting their needs, which is really important. Uh, yeah. Emotional well-being comes first. The, Absolutely. The, if someone's struggling, just lower the criteria. And if they're struggling to like they're misbehaving, sometimes we got to raise the criteria too. You know, they need more information, mm-hmm. which is more disruptive behaviors occurring because there isn't a big enough relationship because yeah. we provide plenty of structure without being jerks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just because we are um, fond of using positive reinforcement does not mean that there aren't rules. There are definitely still rules. We can still have well-behaved dogs and right. have lots of structure. Yeah, I, uh, just because I've never issued a physical, mental, or emotional correction to Kate uh, doesn't mean bad things haven't happened to her. Yeah. You know, she's tripped. She's been slammed by other dogs, and she used to be scared of the sunlight being through the trees. I think that's, I think it's interesting too, because, you know, when we're talking about training, it really is a creative and a science-based process. You know, we're using the same underlying principles of learning, Mm -hmm. but we always have to cater to the dog in front of us. And that can change from dog to dog, even dogs within the same breed. And I think some people kind of struggle with that sometimes. Sure. But yeah, you know, learning happens certain ways. And then we figure out how they are as individual learners to help them learn more uh, and, and more effectively. Um, a lot of stuff I do is just a numbers game because it's like simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, potty training. I capture all of that. Yeah. And I, you know, take them out in, you know, 20, 30 minute slots. And, and going to the bathroom outside is reinforced. Going to the bathroom inside is managed. And I have really good success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some dogs are difficult, but it's just that one example. And that's always, it's never like yelled at or anything, you know? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So obviously we've talked about a few different types of reinforcers. We've talked yeah. about using food. Uh, we talked about uh, using games and toys. Um, what are some other reinforcers that you use specifically when we're hooked up and going and no longer using food on the trails? Um, I'm using pairing then to associate what I love when I know they're loving it. Um, Because we can, we know that we can see it. We know our dogs, Um, especially going really fast. And those like beautiful sprint moments where it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you just feel it. And it's all joyful. We can feel the serotonin or, endorphins or whichever chemical signal is awesome um and they're all present uh and i'm pairing that with like a whoop whoop or something you can hear me out in the weds i mean, I sometimes wonder what people are thinking there's like 20 miles of mountain bike trails where i go in the local um and i'm like whoop whoop 
pairing is a great thing. We, we all do it. Uh, for me, what I'm using most often is, uh, you know, capturing, shaping, and, and pairing. Uh, a whole ton of pairing. The inside-outside game is a good example. Uh, the dog crosses the, the doorway to go outside at that moment. Say, outside. And as they run back inside with you, as they cross the threshold, say, inside. You do that a whole bunch. Every yeah. time they go in and out, you play a game of it. That creates an emotional secondary reinforcement value to the word inside associated with the behavior of going inside. So on those bursts of speed of joy on the trail, I'm making some sort of auditory signal. A whoop, whoop. My hike is basically a turbo boost. Yeah. I, I say, let's go to, to start forward motion because I use that when I'm walking. Um, and and uh, yeah, we do a lot of pairing on that stuff. And that really, it creates an emotional secondary re reinforcement with the individual, with the associated signal and the action of what we're doing. And every time we do it, and our timing can be good or it can be great, um, it just gets better um, yeah. to where we can then motivate our dogs to go a little bit faster with these signals. Mm -hmm. But it all starts in pairing and that goes on for you know a year. It's a, it's a long game I play. I don't expect it to work the next time out because if I, it, that stuff's sort of really special to me. Yeah. Hugely effective and like greatly ingrained because it's working at the dog's pace when they're doing something. It's not about me. It's about helping them learn when they're doing something on their own. And it's a very effective way of doing it. Everyone's doing it. And people do it all the time. They do it when they're, again, back to potty training. Someone will say, make you, you know, make potty as the dog goes to the bathroom. Or classically with, you know, me, Tarzan, Eugene. Pairing by association, but we just call it pairing. And it's a yep. really effective way of teaching because um, it's up to them. It's on their time, mm -hmm. which is a great, you know, how wonderful is that to see promise in an individual and help shape that in the long run so they get better at it and enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. They're healthy doing it, feel good about it, that sense of accomplishment. Yeah. I, I was laughing when you were making your trail noise because I do something very similar with my dogs. And I <laughs> when they when they get those excited boosts, I will add in that, you know, kind of cheerleading, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that sound becomes something good, right? Because it's been associated with other good things. Yeah. I also will do that just with praise in the house. Um you know, especially in those early learning stages for the dog where I will pair some form of verbal praise, like, yes, nice, good job, something like that. That's not my marker, just just a, another kind of praising sound to them. Mm -hmm. And I'll pair that with food. So when they hear that noise, food happens, and then that word can become something good for them, right? Because positive it's been followed. Yep, because right. it's been followed by something positive good. Positive interrupter is it, it's something we have been through doing what you're doing. Uh, yep. Great. You know, we, yes, is a good one or, you know, uh, a kissy noise. That's mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Those are wonderful too. We're, we're, yeah, we're doing great stuff with that. That's a uh, more of a shaping because you're listening mm -hmm. and then reinforcing that, mm -hmm. um, which is a great way pairing just gets no reinforcement. But when a dog lays the, I use it a lot with settle. A little bit. He's the, you know, he's evolving, doing more and more stuff with him as time goes by. Um, and when he lays down, he's like fully relaxed um, and not avoiding and all that stuff that he used to do. Yep. Like, let's say settle. That's it. Good, you know, settling is a good example of how we can use pairing in a different way because it's hard to issue a reinforcer. Yeah. Your dog's excited when you say good boy or you, you just want him to chill out. Um, yeah. But that's not a back home task. <laughs> so when we are working with our uh, trail dogs, you know, we talked a little bit about other behaviors that we like to reinforce uh, that will help us while we're on the trails. Um, is there anything specific that you like to look for in terms of helping your dogs handle the environments a little bit better? Because obviously we talked about trailheads being a really exciting place for them. Um, when we talk about other clients or ourselves going to races, those environments can be really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking specifically about either creating positive associations with different environments or helping our dogs learn that relaxation, um, 
how do you generally work on that with your dogs? Um, some of it's done afterwards. You know, you can have a picnic afterwards. We should really not throw our dogs right back in our trucks or whatnot. We go. We should chill and wait. That's better for their physiology, but that's also a time when they're more relaxed because they're not anticipating going, but they're chilling out in that environment. Any opportunity for the dog to be relaxed in it, maybe not going with the bike. The I use my uh, you know bike touring harnesses for the dogs when I go out and hike too. I'm sure you do. Uh, not everybody walks their dogs in them. And some mm-hmm. people think, you know, I'm on a collar for this, for loose leash, and it's just on my regular harness. That's something else that's targeting and shaping that behavior. But um, so they're already in the gear when I go there. It's going there at other times, too. Practicing before we, when I am going to take a shower before going to a student's house to help them with, like, dog coaching and stuff, versus when I take a shower to go out bike touring, um, dogs totally know what's up. I'm not saying let's go. You want to go for uh, or anything. I'm not stoking them up first. They just, you know, through their active bomber nasal organs and sensing all the little signals I don't notice. And they're mm-hmm. picking up a lot more than we are. Um, they know the difference. So practicing that, that calm behavior when I've already got them in the mindset would be different than just getting the truck and then going for a walk. And they can dissociate the environment. The all the little bear is so cute. He licks my back of my ear from behind the jeep, and um, he, when we're going somewhere, he loves. He told, they they all know. Everybody with a dog that goes to a dog park regularly because they like dog right. shows where anything can happen. It's chaos. Knows their dog knows when they're driving to the dog park. Um, that dog is maybe more obsessive because we're going to different trailheads and stuff, and the outcome isn't chaos. And, dog play and love some experiences at dog parks are great but it's just going you know going for that hike settling before you go out anywhere um maybe not when you're picking up pizza <laughs> you know not, not purposely going to a trail to like work and calm behaviors you can go there and do something else trying to achieve a goal of like being calm before going on trail and going fast it, that's that criteria is way up yeah fair like, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I love what you said too, about working on it, you know, before and after I think are both key because I think oftentimes when we are struggling with a behavior that our dog is showing that we consider undesirable or it isn't exactly what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. I think people often, our brain goes to how can I fix this now? But the answer is usually, we don't fix it now. We fix it before we see it or we fix it after we see it through, you know, a series of, of experiences on, on building different behaviors instead of what can I do in the moment? It's more of prepping ahead of time, you yep. know, and planning for that after. Before everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. That's where you can find a lot of help is what was going on right before everything went to pot. Um, if that's the antecedent of the behavior and that's right. what be examining also, um, along with everything you said, because all that stuff's the path to success. Mm-hmm. And you want to change something. You got to understand it first, then you yeah. gotta break it down and then you got to build it back up in like really good ways. So the outcomes are better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the thing about reinforcement, it's satisfactory outcomes. And when I say pleasing outcomes, cause I'm a human and I can make things better. <laughs> it's really just satisfactory. Um, things just got to work out well. Mm-hmm. We can make them awesome. We can make them fun. We can make them enjoyable. And we can certainly not make them bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, beforehand, uh, yeah. Figuring out what happened beforehand is a big help too. Yep. You're probably going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think this will be really helpful for a lot of our listeners. Before we head out, do you have any last minute tips about reinforcement or any last stories you'd like to share? Um, yeah, just help things. It, reinforcement builds and drives behavior. Um, there's stuff we reinforce and then there's other stuff and that other stuff you just wait it out. Sometimes you can manage it so it doesn't occur. Um, it's really, it's hard to focus on what's right when things are going wrong, but like we talked about, you can go do something else. Expectations, 
they're like speed bumps that get in your way over and over again because I expect I could be here already, but you're really here uh-huh. from where you're at. Sometimes back up a little bit and focus on what happened before things went wrong and uh, split everything up like you like to do. Um, change the environments uh, you know, and then progress, progression, keeping the criteria low, mm-hmm. sub threshold at threshold over threshold is crazy no one's listening yeah um but yeah it's you know keep on going out and having adventures with your dogs and have awesome experiences and and have reward jackpot moments and you know i think that expectation point is is key you know when we're working with our dogs i often find that we want to move faster than things might be moving. And so we can experience a lot of frustration ourselves if we go out with unrealistic expectations. And then oftentimes it's a little unfair for the dog. Um, so having having goals for sure, but make sure those goals are achievable and realistic, you know, and, and go out there. And then if you don't reach that goal or your expectations aren't met, look back at your training and go, how can I break this down even more? You know, so that I'm helping my dog get where I want them to be. Yeah. What's coming from your learner's point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, don't get frustrated when the leashes tangle because you're freaking them out. Maybe. Yeah. Which is something I tell myself all the time because I can't stand tangles and I have three Siberian Huskies. <laughs> so so tangles happen, right? Oh, tangles happen. <laughs> shed happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, awesome adventures happen too. And everything yeah. you guys do is so great. You're, uh, you got a really beautiful voice for the world and, and it's great with everything that you do. And your content is lovely. Um, and you're such an awesome human being. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. I really, really appreciate you taking taking the time out to join us and share your your very relatable and understandable knowledge. I think it's really important for people to be able to hear the science and, and understand it, you know, and be able to apply it to their dogs. doesn't have to be a struggle. Yeah. You know, be like water. I love Bruce Lee and Star Wars. <laughs> yes, <dog>. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. With your shirt right now, which no one can see because this is a podcast, but. All right, yeah. May the reinforce be with you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thanks again, Paul, for joining. I appreciate it. All right, mahalo. So. Until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.